Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Alvey's going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Alvey. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com or over on Twitter where you can follow me at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me on this very special Road to Atlanta mailbag episode is Braves MILB himself, Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you, man? I'm doing okay. Getting, getting past this, uh, getting over a little bit of an illness this weekend, but feeling good now. Yeah, Garrett wasn't feeling so hot. Uh, <laughs> and it was for a few for a few days, but he managed to gather himself together, and you know he wants to kind of you know get back into the swing and things. So what better yet than to take a whole bunch of listener questions? Uh, for those who aren't aware, going into this episode, uh, we decided to do a little bit of a mailbag episode this week. We've um, you know coming off the draft, we did the usual kind of level by level breakdowns of last episode, but I thought that you know given the kind of a lot of the changes in the system. Uh, as well as with the, our midseason prospect rankings, which are going to be rolling out after the trade deadline, I kind of want to give everyone a chance to talk to us a little bit about kind of the issues that we're talking, that we're kind of pressing to them. Uh, and I also like just changing up the format a good bit. I think that the one of the problems with the level by level breakdowns is I think it's a you know it's a good sort of completionist thing. But we kind of there does seem to be a certain amount of we start talking about the same guys a lot just because those are the top prospects in the system and those are the ones that are playing well. Whereas I think that kind of getting into some more of the deeper dive questions and some of the, the, the deeper topics I think is almost ends up being better served in mailbag form in a lot of ways. We could like set a topic where like, you know, let's, this episode is going to be only about the pitchers in the system. This is only going to be about third base in this. And we can do that, but that seems better served for offseason content. Whereas right now guys are playing games right now. We're seeing a lot of interesting things happen down in the minor league system and we want to give you guys the opportunity to ask your questions of us. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to kind of give Garrett a chance to kind of get folks just, you know, a couple of guys who have like stood out, you know, good or bad, uh, before we kind of get into those list- listener questions. So Garrett, give me some guys that have kind of caught your eye over the last week or so. Uh, last week or so, we haven't had a ton of, uh, fantastic pitching performances. Uh, I guess Joey Estes down in Augusta played pretty well for about four innings, uh, for about five innings. 
that sixth inning came around, he gave up a bunch of runs. He wasn't able to get through it. But he struck out ten batters, didn't walk anybody over five in a third innings. So looked pretty good. Just kind of, you know, ran out of gas at, at the end. Hitting-wise, Gwinnett's been killing it. Uh, Drew Waters has made some adjustments to handle breaking stuff better and has been – Hitting the ball a ton better, especially from the left side. He hit three home runs last, three home runs in three games last week. William Contreras, it just, he hit four home runs in five games. Uh, he's playing out of his mind right now. That's the, those are really the best performers were right there. Um, middle levels, Roman, Mississippi really struggled last week, so we didn't see a ton from them. So it's actually it was a pretty interesting week, right? Because you know we've seen like some like Spencer Strider, he's been got promoted to Double A, and he's we've seen some good out of him, and we've seen some struggles out of him. And honestly, I'm happy to see that happen. I, I I'm happy to kind of see him being challenged at a level. And again, some of it's kind of his own doing. The the command has been kind of hit and miss, particularly with the fastball. And again, he's putting on a lot more innings. He's kind of getting up there in innings in terms of what he's been doing the last couple of years. So not that surprising that, you know, like the command's been getting a little bit away from him. He's had to work a little bit harder. And you can't just blow guys away uh, at double A. Those guys know how to hit. But, you know, not the best start this past, his past start, but, you know, it's been kind of hit and miss. He still misses plenty of bats, so I'm not super concerned. Uh, one note down in Mississippi is that Braden Shoemake has uh, played in a couple games finally. We still don't know, and I don't, I mean, unless you've heard anything, I haven't. Uh, is of what he was out with, but you know, in, in an age where COVID exists and things like that, we won't really know for certain. But he never went on the IL, but he missed a whole bunch of a good chunk of time, I should say. Uh, but came back and you know had a, a you know a game where he like drew a walk, and then he had a game where he you know got you know got on the base a good bit. So you know, it seems like he looks okay. No, no, no big issues there. I, I want to give a little bit of a hat tip to Chris, Travis Demerit up there, down there in Gwinnett too. Uh, just like you know, like multiple grand slams in the last couple games. It's just since he's gotten back on with the IL, he's been hitting for a ton of power. Uh, again, I don't know what his future is in terms of a major leaguer, but like for basically getting him back for nothing <laughs> back in the minor league system, and once he's gotten back into the, back into the Braves organization, he's just been really hitting well. You know, a guy certainly worth mentioning. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Augusta Green Jackets very often um, in this particular segment because at least they've been like a little bit more respectable lately. But that team's been really rough, and I'm pretty excited to hopefully get some guys that are going to be joining that team uh, in the relatively near, near future. But uh, beyond that, Rome. I mean, Michael Harris is still doing his thing. Jesse Franklin had a good game the other day, hit a couple home runs. You know, he's I'm not, I still don't know how much of this power outfit from, from him all of a sudden is real, but he has been a lot of fun to watch and he seems to always come up big in big spots. So it's a couple of names that I kind of wanted to throw in there too, in addition to the names that Garrett uh, threw out there. But I actually kind of want to go ahead and get right into these user questions because you guys really killed it with the response on getting all these questions. And I actually sent the doc to Garrett and he's like, this is a lot of questions. Are we going to have enough time? So I'm, I'm going to do my best to kind of just tee Garrett up on a lot of these. I'll chime in here and there, but you know, this is going to kind of be like, you know, what are Garrett's thoughts on a lot of these things with maybe me just kind of chiming in a little bit. So the first question, Garrett, is from one of our listeners is who would you say had the had the highest upside between Muller, Tukey, and Enoa? I know at one point they also they thought they thought we we said that we all thought there were gonna be relievers in the majors. That's true. Or at least in my case. So Garrett, between those three guys, who has the highest upside to you? I know what my answer is. Uh I was split on Tukey as reliever starter. I think I was leaning more towards reliever lately, but I don't ever think I fully gave up on him. I would say that I think Tukey has the highest upside of the group simply because he has the splitter that he can use against 
opposite-handed batters. I think that gives him a leg up over Muller, who doesn't really have a great changeup. You know it doesn't have a changeup. So I think that that gives him an advantage over the other two. The other two do have more fastball velocity, which does help. But I think that Tukey having that, I think his breaking ball is better than either of theirs. And I think that him having that third pitch to use against offhanded batters will make it easier for him to get through a lineup multiple times. You know, Muller and Tukey, both fantastic athletes. I think Tukey's a little bit ahead of Muller right now, but that could change. He, Muller's hasn't been in a, hasn't been in professional baseball as long, so we'll kind of have to see, but I do think Tukey is the higher upside of the group. Though I think right now I would bet on Muller before I would bet on Tukey. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Muller's been fantastic in the major leagues. Uh, I've never seen his command this good. Uh, the, he's always had, like, you know, well, I say always. Ever since he made that adjustment when he was coming out of rookie ball uh, to kind of get his velocity back, he's always gotten good movement on his pitches. And, you know, I, that's never been the problem. It's always just been a command issue. And with those big-bodied guys, it's just, you know, sometimes it comes and goes. And just it's hard to stay constantly in control of your body. But he really has put in a ton of work. Uh, to kind of get better at that. And I think that Mike Moroth down at Gwinnett did wonders for him in terms of getting him right mechanically and kind of figuring out exactly what his approach should be going down the mound. I, I'm with you that if you're betting on the consistency, then you're betting on Muller, I think. Um, and again, all three of these guys, I mean, I, th- I was more, I was more thinking that Muller was going to stay as a starter. Uh, Tuki and Enoa, I was fairly convinced were going to be relievers. But in terms of pure upside, I don't know how you can go wrong with Tuki because he, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have the ability to just throw that hammer curveball. Uh, he has more velocity in the tank. It's clear he's not using it because he hasn't had the ability to command it with any level of consistency whatsoever. But it seems like he's made those adjustments and he's kind of figured out what kind of pitcher he needs to be. And, you know, a lot of people have said if he if he lives in the strike zone, his stuff's going to play. And everyone's 100% right. He, he knows how to spin a curveball. The splitter's really good. And you are, I think, rightly note that, you know, in terms of, like, dealing with those, you know, platoon situations that he has that in his back pocket to really be helpful. I, I, I am a little bit skeptical that he will stay consistent because I've been fooled by Tukey before. We've seen stretches from him where he just looks insane and we're like, this is it. This is that we now have Tukey to the starter again. But at the same time, in terms of pure upside, the, the stuff is really, really good. And this is not a, no, a knock on Enoa either. I mean, we kind of forget that, you know, he was, how good he was for Atlanta when he was starting. And, you know, and Muller has have been really good as well. I would not be shocked if either of those guys end up being better than Tukey. But if you're looking at purely just the upside play, it's hard to beat Tukey in terms of like that overall, like, you know, pure stuff. Um, and, and, you know, and a little bit of experience too. It's that, you know, he's learned a lot and he has a lot more in his, kind of in his arsenal now in terms of what he can do. But overall, I mean, those are all guys I've had some, certainly some doubts about, particularly Tukey and Enoa coming out of the bullpen. And, you know, maybe that's where they end up anyway. But if you're looking purely upside, I go with Tukey. If you're wanting to bet on the guy who's going to stay at starter and, and still stay pretty good, I would bet on Muller. Uh, the next question is, you have to pick one catcher to trade and one to keep between Contreras and Langoliers. Both are crushing pitching. Who do you keep? I prefer Langelier simply because I've never in my life seen so many balls go to the backstop while William was catching, but I'd rather think William probably has the higher up offensive ceiling. Uh, I reject the premise of your question that the, you know, you've never seen that many pitchers go to the backstop because one, you that means you, you clearly haven't watched a minor league game, and two, I, I think that you're really underselling Will uh, Contreras defensively. He had to switch stances to that knee in the dirt stance and got pressed in the service very suddenly with the the 
the injury to Darno. So I don't think like he's just like completely incapable of playing catcher. I just like the the premise of the question is a little bit silly, but they're, they're, it's a reasonable question to ask since they're both really good. Uh, so Garrett, if you had to pick between Contreras and Langleyers, who are you picking? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely fair to point out the defensive differences there. It's also fair to point out that athletically, athletically, Contreras is better, and there he does have the potential to be an average or better catcher. He's going to take yep. some work. He's not there yet, but he definitely has the athleticism to do it. Um, I prefer Contreras, and this might be a hot take, but if he were still eligible for the prospect list, he would have been number one on my personal list because he really? showed – he showed that he could hit major league pitching. Now, at the end, he started to struggle. He kind of got away from his approach. It didn't really look very good. But he showed that he can hit, he can catch, he can throw. The catching came and went. The hitting kind of came and went. But we, I have more confidence in his bat than probably anybody in the system right now simply because we have actually seen a stretch of success at He's the only guy that's really put up a consistent stretch at AAA or higher of our top hitting prospects. So that kind of gives him a leg up in that we've seen him do it. We know he can. I would like, you know, obviously he lost the consistency at the end. We kind of expected that. He wasn't fully ready. But if you're talking about his upside is probably a little bit higher than Langoliers. I don't think you can go wrong here, but I would keep Contreras. That's really tough. I think I end up keeping uh, Contreras, too, and for a similar reason. Now, I wouldn't have had Contreras as my number one prospect. I'll tell you that right now. And I'll give you guys a little bit of a preview. He's not going to be on our prospect list. He exhausted rookie eligibility. And I tend to err on the side of if we can get remove guys from the list uh, with a decent reason. Uh, just to get new names on the list, and we generally do so. There's going to be one name in particular, and Alex Jackson, where this is going to be the last list that I'm willing to contribute, willing to let him be on the list anymore. He just has never really accumulated enough at bats. But you know, beyond that, I mean, like you know, Contreras isn't going to be on our list at all, and that's not simply because we don't think he's a prospect. It's just that in terms of like you know his overall worth as a player, but it's just that he's just he exhausted that that rookie eligibility. Uh, I think I keep Contreras too, though. I think that I have more confidence in the bat. You know, Langoliers offensively has been very streaky. Um, I love what Langoliers does as a catcher though. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I am not ups, I, I would ideally love a 50-50 split in the major league level between these two guys. Cause I think, or even, even Langoliers getting like a 60-40, like the heavier set of that split would work for me simply because I do think he's made a lot of strides in, in calling games. I think defensively he is special. Uh, can really control a running game. It is hysterical what he does to these guys down in double A when they try to test his arm or try to catch, catch him napping because it just never works. Um, I just think that there's a, there's reason to be a little bit concerned just because I don't think that the hit tool is particularly awesome, but still he's pretty, he's still good. Uh, just a lot of fly balls that, you know, if he doesn't really get a hold of all of them, they don't, and that means that they don't go out and all of a sudden, you know, you wonder a little bit about how much upside there is there, but these are both very, very good catching prospects. And I think Contreras is getting a lot better. Just the more repetitions he's getting in that new stance, the better he's going to get defensively. I think both guys can catch. I think defensively Langoliers is better. I think pitch, like play calling and pitch calling. Uh, I think Langoliers is more advanced and just going to be better. But I also think that the bat is significantly better with Contreras that makes his overall value slightly better. Um, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I didn't put too much. I mean, I understood that he had a good stretch when he first got called up. I'm not going to say like he's like a lock to hit major league hit pitching or anything like that, but I do like what he's doing down there in Gwinnett. I do like him overall as a prospect, uh, a teensy bit better. Uh, I think in terms of keeping him around a little bit longer, I'd have to kind of go back and think about that a little bit. Cause it's really close. Uh, 
And at the end of the day, I think I prefer Contreras, but it's really, really close. But for a guy who has been consistently hit at the AAA level and who I think is going to end up being a perfectly fine catcher once he gets things worked out a little bit uh, versus a guy who has, you know, hit – Pretty, you know, the the power has been great for Lelling players down in Double A, but other than that, I'm maybe a little bit more skeptical that the hit tool ends up being what it would need to be to be of equivalent value. That's just kind of where I'm at with them. Uh, but again, really, really close. These guys are very, very good. Like th- this is a great problem for the Braves to have going forward. Um, so the next question is, who is the highest upside pitcher and position pitcher and position player in the system that has not seen the big leagues? This is an important consideration to be sure. Uh, so, uh, Garrett, who are your, uh, non-debut candidates for most upside in the system? Um, highest upside pitcher is between Strider and Cusick. Both kind of are similar in yep. that yep. you want to see if they can command the ball. Big fastballs, big breaking balls. Want to see how well the changeup's going to come along. Want to see how well the command's going to come along. Both players are fairly similar in that vein. I, there's no, I don't think there's any reason to draw a distinction between the two. They're the two guys for me. Position player, I would go with Langoliers because if he, if he figure, I don't, I would bet against him figuring out how to hit at a very high level. But if he does, with his raw power, with his defensive ability, he's a superstar. Like one of the top players in the league, if he figures out how to hit at a very high level, it's a very very low percentage outcome. But if it does happen, it's going to be hard to match the value that a good hitting catcher with above average power and elite defense can provide. So I'm with you on Kusick and uh, and Strider. I think that the the big time fastballs. Like, I mean, this. I mean, I know that there's a very decent chance that Kusick ends up as a reliever simply because of like, you know, the command issues, the, the lack of the third pitch. We just don't, we don't have enough information to be saying, Hey, this guy's going to end up being a starter long-term and not like a knock on a guy like Spencer Schwallenbach either. Like, again, that's just a guy who's just only been a reliever. We just don't know enough about him. Uh, there could end up being real upside with him too, but between Strider with that big time fastball that I love the life on the top of the zone, I think it's one of, if not the best pitches in the system, which is a little bit foreshadowing for later on in the show when we have another question, but um, and then in Kusick's case, this is such a big time fastball that like, you know, if you have that going for you and you can figure other things out, the, the sky's the limit for you. Uh, I don't agree on Langoliers. I think that, I mean, the, the 1% outcome on Langoliers is, is an exceptionally good player, but the 1% outcomes for Christian Pache and Drew Waters, uh, particularly Drew Waters, I will say, uh, both those guys like have like this like crazy level of high level of athleticism that like they figure things out. They could end up being like really, really productive prospects. And Pache's defense certainly is a factor here. But in Drew Waters, you have a guy that has maybe not quite the same physical attributes that Pache does, but he has the ability to switch hit. And if he figures things out and actually has like a really like figures out with a hit tool perspective, that's like a five tool guy that does a lot of damage in a lot of different ways. And he's looked good. So lately, so I, I, you know, you wonder a little bit about how much that he's going to be figuring out over the next month or so, and maybe make the Braves make some hard decisions considering what they're having to run out there on a day-to-day basis. But I mean, in terms of like overall upside, I mean, the, the I mean, Pache and Waters are still incredibly good, uh, and that's not even a knock on a guy like Michael Harris too. We just haven't seen the power playing games, and if the power starts playing in games more for him, like he starts forcing his way into the conversation too. But you know, for me, it's still like that Pache Waters class where there's just crazy levels of athleticism they can if they if they figure things out those are guys they can hit and if they'll hit they'll hit for power 
They, they're fast. They play defensively. They all three, they can play all three outfield positions right now. Uh, I, I like both of those guys in terms of overall upside. Like that, those are kind of guys who can like perennial all-stars, like crazy war numbers if they figure things out. Now, there's reasons to be skeptical of that, particularly in Pache's case, because the hit tool stuff is still a very much an open question. And Waters too, for that matter. But I think Waters has kind of progressed much more to the bat this year than Pache has. But overall, I mean, those are still the two guys, right? Those are still, for me, just the two guys that I think are going to be the ones in terms of like, if we're talking strictly upside, uh, in the system. Uh, next question is, now that the 2021 draftees have been signed with the organization, where do you see guys like Kusick, Schwellenbach, Schauver, Collins, Shoemaker, et cetera, fitting into the Braves' top prospect lists? Uh, the, I don't want to give away too much on this because we're actually going to be releasing our list here pretty soon, but kind of go through your thought process on these guys a little bit in terms of like where you're thinking about putting them. I think we all pretty much consider typically our first round pick every year is going to be somewhere in the top 15. They usually don't get up into the top five. They're usually somewhere in the top 15. That's kind of where we felt with Cusick. I haven't actually looked at everybody's numbers there, but we're all fairly much in that range, right? We're not ready until we see them professionally. We don't love to like throw them at the top of the list, but we obviously know what they are. Uh, Schwellenbach, I differed from you guys. You all put him fairly high. I did not. I have not seen him as a starting pitcher yet, and I'm a little hesitant to put him up there. I do recognize the talent. I personally didn't put him high until I see him as a starter. That's just a personal thing. I think he will go up the list fairly quickly. Maybe I should put him higher. I will revisit that, but... The other guys, I don't think that anybody else in the draft really is going to, you know, they might sneak on the back end of the, you know, in the 20 to 30 range. I don't think that anybody else is going to be very high. We do love the high school guys, but all of them are very, very raw. And so it's kind of a, you can't really put them more than in the lower 30s because you just, there's just so much that can go wrong with those guys for me. And then Dodd, Dodd was not mentioned. Dodd, I, Dodd, I have in my back end of my 30. I don't know about the rest of them. Dodd's a good prospect. Dodd's a solid guy too in that, in that range. Yeah, I'm, I, I keep, I keep waffling on Dodd a little bit. Uh, and it wasn't again on this list, but he's a guy that could, uh, as a senior sign, I'm a little bit skeptical to put him on there right away. But in talking to some scouts and talking to some people that I would not be shocked if he ends up on a preseason top 30 for us for sure. Uh, I just have to, I had to learn a little bit more about him because it's those senior signs that like don't sign for a ton of money and, you know, you wonder a little bit about age and like, you know, how much they actually, how quickly they can develop. You wonder a little bit about that, but you know, I think he's a live arm for sure. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain that Kusick and Schwellenbach are being, once all the composites done, and I'll probably run that sometime tomorrow once we kind of get an idea of what our, so we'll get an idea of what our list is. Um, I, I, I expect that both Kusick and Schwellenbach are going to be somewhere like on that like top 10 fringe range somewhere. Uh, there's certainly more, there's certainly a lot of differing opinions on this. Uh, Matt has been pretty famously, uh, not particularly happy with the acoustic control and box picks. I'm not anywhere close to kind of as negative about it as he is, but there are real questions about these guys. Like if, if Kusik is a, like a lock to be a starter, then he's probably should be like a top five guy because of just the, how how good the fastball is. But there's real questions about whether or not he's going to stick there. And in Schwellenbach's case, we just never see him start before. And there he's being converted full-time to as a pitcher. You know, he didn't even throw a bullpen, you know, in terms of last year. So there's a lot of things about kind of learning about what these guys are going to be that we're going to have to kind of figure out as we go forward. And maybe a little bit of hesitance there is just kind of figuring out how that goes. Um, in terms of, like, Shaver, Collins, Shoemaker, again, Matt, not Matt, uh, Garrett's right, is that, you know, 
there's going to be some varying opinions on the order of these guys. Uh, I imagine that Shaver, Collins, and Shoemaker is going to be the order, and I think that all of them will probably end up in like the the last eight spots or so on the list somewhere. Uh, I just can't tell you exactly where because there's a, there's some varying opinions on kind of how close it's going to be, and that that twenty that twenty plus range. There's just so many names that you can throw in there right now for the Braves that, you know, I, I could see some weird things happening in terms of like it being really close and some like a couple ranks here and there cost like cost a guy multiple spots on the list. So, but that's generally the range we're looking at. These are, like these are, these are good prospects, but they're, you know, these are all high school guys that are going to take some time. Uh, they're all raw. There's a lot of projectability there to kind of price into. Uh, another guy too is, uh, Justin, uh, Justin Malloy from out of Georgia Tech is another guy who's been getting some love on our list too. I imagine he'll probably find his way onto the list too, maybe a little closer to 20, uh, than maybe these, these high school kids are, but that's kind of where I'm looking at it right now in terms of just kind of looking at the numbers. But a, a lot can change pretty quickly. We'll learn a lot once we kind of get word out of instructs and how guys, how guys are looking and all that good stuff. So. Um, so the next question, uh, I think is a pretty straightforward one for me anyway. Uh, do you see, do you think, uh, Jaciel De La Cruz gets a chance to pitch in some form in Atlanta given the struggles of Wilson as a starter or out of the pen since even the high leverage relievers have struggled? Perhaps as an opener of sorts. Garrett? JDLC. I think, think the answer is we really better hope he doesn't. Because it would have to be a very bad situation based on how he has pitched lately. He just hasn't. He's not good right now. And I don't see – maybe he pitches well enough that you look at him in September because he is on the 40-man roster, but I I would not feel confident calling him up right now. He just hasn't looked that good. Then again, no one has. So, I mean, what could go wrong, really? So I will say this, depending on – I'm looking, I'm looking at kind of all the lists that we're working from getting our, a, um, getting our prospect list together. I will say that the guy who's probably been downgraded the most from where we had him to where he is now is going to be Jesse L. De La Cruz. Uh, I no longer see him really as a starter anymore. I just don't think he's, has the command for it. He, he doesn't look, hasn't looked particularly great the first turn through the order. And once he's gotten past that, he's gotten actively bad. It's just, and I'm not really sure what to attribute to. I'm not sure if it's a health issue. I'm not sure if he's made some adjustments or his mechanics are completely off. I'd have to really kind of dig into that a little bit more in terms of what's going wrong with him. But, like, the stuff hasn't been sharp. He hasn't been commanding him. And when he has been throwing strikes, he's been getting hit hard. So, you know, in terms of, like, leaning on him as a potential savior for the bullpen or anything like that, I don't, I don't think the stuff plays up enough to actually be able to make that a realistic possibility right now. Maybe down the line it could happen, but in terms of this year – I don't see it happening. I just don't. I just I think that the this the struggles he's been having. You you don't want this guy going against like particularly in like a situation where you need to like stop like runners on second and third with an out or something like that. He's not a guy that you want to be pulling in right now. And if he can't do that, then that's not necessarily something you want to be doing. Um so uh the next one is kind of in our wheelhouse, but you know, he's a recent call up. You know, he's still our he's still our baby in a lot of ways, but um they are curious if we've seen any mechanical changes from Tukey that would suggest his current uh, walk rate might be sustainable. Similarly, update on the swing changes from Pache or or particularly Contreras that might explain their recent success in AAA and whether or not that's sustainable. Garrett, what do you think? I know that Tukey moved to the first base side of the rubber. I'm correcting that, right? He moved to the first base side of the rubber. I don't know bit, how yeah. much that really plays into his command overall. He did do that. There are some changes to his delivery. He's a guy that's kind of been 
constantly shifted in his delivery. I think that's made it – he's athletic enough to get away with it, but it's made it tougher for him to, like, learn a single delivery and how to repeat it. I think that's kind of hurt him. I think it's mostly, though, just natural progression for him. I mean, based on what we heard from certain sources, he really didn't – like, he we already knew he didn't really start pitching until, like, late in his high school career, and he really didn't start, start taking it seriously until, like, three years ago. So he's really, really raw in the regards of actually making his best effort to be a pitcher. And we've seen, like you said earlier, we've seen flashes of brilliance, and then it kind of goes away. And I think he's more getting more where he's putting those longer streaks together. And I think that's kind of where it is. I don't know. I don't think he's going to sustain it all year. I do think that he's going to be better this year. I think he's going to be better next year than he was this year. I don't know if he will ever get to the point that he is good. I do think that he is going to continue to improve. He's too talented. He's too athletic to not improve. I just don't know how much that improvement is going to happen. Um, the rest of it, update on swing changes. Contreras hasn't really made a swing change. I th- I, Contreras is more of an approach change. He stopped swing it, sliders, the foot out of the zone, and now he's crushing the ball. That's kind of what it is with Contreras. Pache added a leg kick. Now he's dropped his leg kick, and he's hitting a little bit better lately. Um, he's still just kind of – he's just struggling to hit fly balls. He hits a ton of ground balls. He hits it straight into the ground, and that's kind of just been his thing this year. I mean, it's always been his thing, but he's really struggled with it at this level. He struggles with inside pitching. I haven't seen – they are constantly tweaking what he does. It's just nothing has fully stuck yet, and it's just kind of a process of finding out what's going to work for him and if anything is going to work for him. Yeah, I will say that Pache's approach has been a little bit better. He's certainly like been more willing to take walks and this kind of working counts a little bit better. He's still working on things like pitch recognition. He's still working on kind of his, getting his hands inside the ball. So that's kind of a work in progress with him. Uh, it's definitely kind of a step back this year, which is unfortunate, but you know, that's kind of how things happen, especially with really young guys. Uh, I'm with you. I haven't noticed any switch changes from Contreras. I just think he stopped swinging at bad pitches, uh, or at least the bad ones in AAA. Whether or not that sticks in the major league level, where you're going against guys who frankly just are better at, you know, throwing really hard sliders in tunnels that are really hard to pick up until it's far too late, but we'll see. Um, in terms of Tukey, it's just kind of like being consistent with his re- release point. He's taking a little bit off his fastball because it seems like he can't really command it when he's throwing it as hard as he can. Uh, and he's kind of being more willing to just take a little bit off of his stuff because even when he does that, his still stuff is still really good. And that means it allows him to throw for strikes more. So, you know, I think he's going to have games where he's still going to like, you know, have walk a lot more guys than he'd want. But I think overall though, what you're seeing is just kind of being more consistent with like that release point, being more consistent with that arm slot of his, which is kind of really makes him hard to square up because people, you know, if he's throwing in a tunnel that is very, you know, you're having to choose between is he throwing the breaker or is he throwing a, you know, throwing the fastball or he's throwing a splitter. I mean, that's hard. That's a hard thing to pick up for anybody. So I, I think that just kind of just that consistency of that release point has been kind of the biggest thing for him. And again, you know, we're getting a pretty fresh version of Tukey right now. And what we need to see from Tukey is just, you know, once that season long fatigue and he's got a whole bunch of pitches on his arm, you know, is he still able to do this and be able to hold those, to hold that consistency? And that's, that's TBD with him. And, you know, he, there's reason to be a little bit skeptical of that with his track record. 
so next question is, do you think the slow start for Shoemake is mainly due to swing adjustments he made and now he's getting more comfortable with the changes? What do you think? I think he actually said it himself. Uh, his dad came into town. He worked with his dad, and his dad noticed some things in his swing that had gotten just out of whack for him. And, you know, ever since then, over the last month before he got injured, he hit the ball very well. I think that's what it is. He made a lot of swing adjustments, and then they kind of got away from him a little bit. And he just – it kind of – sometimes guys get into that situation where they don't hit very well, and then for guys that have never not hit in their life, it kind of spirals and it gets away from them. They try to do too much because they don't know how to handle that failure. And for Shoemake, I think that that was a situation for him where he was learning to fail for the first time really. And, you know, he's made his adjustments. He kind of ironed out some things in his swing. He's hitting – He's not rolling over the ball enough as much. He's hitting the ball harder, and we're seeing him kind of learn to deal with that and kind of and play professional baseball. I think that that was just an adjustment period for him. I don't, I don't worry about him. I did have some worries about him, but seeing him be able to bounce back from that, I am much less worried about him than I was a few months ago for sure. Yeah, I think that one of the best thing, the best ways to think about that is that when a guy's trying to change his swing path and trying to hit for more power, and they also kind of have an open stance like he does, there's it creates some timing issues at times where you're just kind of like trying to make sure all the stuff that you're trying to implement plus all the stuff that you normally do doesn't always sync up, and that seemed like he was just, you know, was just hitting a lot of like like these pop ups straight in the air, you know was trying to like turn almost into a pole hitter and that's not really his game. And just one of the things that he was always good at is just that, you know, he could get the barrel on the ball and he could hit the ball hard. It wasn't always, you know, to a place where he could like at an angle where he could get power to it, but he could hit the ball up like up the middle with authority. And you know, he can hit the ball to the gaps with authority. And you know, and that's either side, right? So I think that one of the things that he just wasn't being able, you know, wasn't doing as well is just kind of keep him in mind the things that he was good at. And I think that what, you know, that time with his dad and, you know, getting that advice from other coaches too is just the, making those kind of, you know, implementing some changes so it allows him to get to a little bit more power. But also, I mean, there's, there's things about Shoemaker that were really good. Like well, the one thing we didn't worry about coming in the season was his ability to hit. And that's what was gone for the first month of, month of the season. He was not doing anything at the plate. Like, it wasn't a power problem, it was just a anything problem. And just kind of getting back to, the, like, making sure that he can still do the things that he's good at, while also kind of trying to implement some changes where he could hit for a little bit more power. You know, again, just, he, he needed some, like, minor changes, and I think that he kind of maybe went a little bit too far and was trying to change his approach too much to the plate, which causes all sorts of, sorts of problems, and then he leads to, you know, kind of him, you know, forcing the issue a bit too much, and, you know, that's just something that happens with struggling players all the time, especially when they're young. It seems like he's doing fine. Uh, again, Coming off like a, a bit of a layoff now, seeing kind of how he continues to bounce back is going to be something that we're going to be really focusing on. But overall, I'm not super worried about him. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't upgraded his stock or downgraded his stock for me. It's just me. I think he'll stick it short, which is something I wasn't particularly certain about. Uh, but I'm not as concerned about. I think he'll hit for a bit power, and I think he'll hit. Uh, his hit tool is maybe not quite as advanced as I was hoping, considering he had the setback. But you know, at the same time, it's not something I'm super worried about. Uh, one more question before we go to our break is how do you think player, the Braves player development, which is separate from scouting, compares with the rest of the league? Are they potentially failing at certain aspects or is this just normal development? Yeah, so neither of us are like the most qualified people to tell you this. I will say that there are definitely 
this we've seen a lot of guys in the system that have consistently gotten better with their stuff as they've gone up. It's clear that their pitching coaches know how to teach guys to throw harder, spin the ball better, and for the most part, they can teach a change up to a. They don't can't teach it. They haven't been able to teach a change up to everybody, but there are a handful of guys in the system that they've taught a good change up to, done things like that. So I think they're good at teaching stuff. Um, I don't particularly know how good they are at tapping in, like taking a guy with power potential and actually getting that out of him. It doesn't seem like they do that particularly well. It kind I, I don't think that they're particularly bad at it. I just don't think that they're like able to just like find a guy and turn him into a 30 home run guy. I haven't seen that from him. Their pitching coaches do. I think that they are very good at getting guys through the lower levels quickly. And I think that they kind of sometimes the hitters stall out at the upper levels, which happens in every system. I think that they're kind of averages at the, I think they're very good at the lower levels hitting wise. They're okay at the top levels, average to a little bit above average. They're not that great at teaching command. Uh, they, that's just kind of how it is. They're not very good at teaching command for guys. Yeah, that was actually a note that I wanted to, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think that for especially their kinds of guys, guys who have real live forcing fastballs and the ability to throw a power curveball, the Braves are good at teaching those guys how to give them more spin and to get them to throw harder for both of those types of those types of pitchers. I think that if you don't fit into that mold, they're not particularly good at making their stuff better. Uh, looking at you, Kyle Wright, as an example, I think that you know a guy that has kind of his repertoire uh, and kind of how he chooses to approach and how he cho- and what, what he throws hasn't lent itself well to kind of what the Braves are good at doing. Uh, and I will agree that they're not particularly great at at, at teaching command. Uh, we've certainly seen some success stories here, and I think that Mike Moroth, who, I, I mean, we've said this here, I've said this on Talking Chop, I've said this on Twitter, I think Mike Moroth needs to be the major league pitching coach right now, because I think that what he is good at, he is good at doing is just being, he's good at just the pitching side of things. Now, I, I do want to touch a little bit what Garrett was talking about, this us not being qualified, it's just that it's not necessarily what we think the Braves are good or not good at, it's just that comparing it to the rest of the league is problematic because there's just there's a lot of information to take into there, and frankly, I will not ascribe to being a like grand expert on the developmental paths of all the other organizations. I think that the Cleveland Indians, as an example, are really good at developing pitchers. I do not think they're good at developing hitters. Um, I th- I think that the Rays are good at basically whatever they want to be good at. I think that they've really figured some things out. Um, and beyond that, I mean, there's there's certainly some teams that have had less success stories in terms of Develop, developing guys in general. I don't think that the Braves are appreciably different, if I'm just being honest, overall success-wise in developing players versus other other organizations. I think that they might be a bit better. We've seen a lot of young guys coming out of this. Uh, certainly, I, I certainly think they might be average uh, or to above average because we've seen a lot of young guys come out of the system and find success at the major league level. It's just true. It's just you, you, you just need to look at the, the Braves roster or in the case of this year, looking at their injured list uh, and you see like all the success stories that we've seen come out of this minor league system and they're being very successful. Uh, there is just the nature of the beast is that there's a lot of attrition in baseball in the minor leagues. There are tons of guys and Garrett and I've been doing this a long time now. There are a ton of guys that we've liked that we thought could be something, and like the next year, we're just out of baseball. 
right? It's just something that happens. I mean, you guys just hit walls and they can't make the adjustments or they get exposed, you know, whether it be physically, whether it's just a pitch recognition problem or the ability to execute certain pitches or the, you know, a hitter's figured them out and they can't alter their approach or they just, you know, they, they never get their spin rates where they need them to be or there's a lot of reasons why it happens. Guys get hurt. Um, injuries are the worst ones, I think, for, for us. It's just, a, you know, a guy that we think it could be something and then, you know, just, they, they hurt a knee, they hurt a shoulder, they hurt an elbow, and all of a sudden, you know, they're just never the same guy again. And that's, that's, that's a bummer. But I think that's worth noting too, is just that, you know, guys fail all the time. Um, just as a thought exercise, what you should do is go back like 28, like look at the top, Baseball America is a good example because I love what those guys do and I, generally speaking, I really think that they get it really close to right. If you look at the top 25 prospects in baseball from like 2015 to 2018, see how many of them are anything. Just go look. Those are the top 25 prospects in baseball, not like top 20 prospects in a system. You know what I mean? I mean, like, do you, you remember when, like, A.J. Reed was supposed to be, like, the next big hitter? And that wasn't that long ago, Garrett. I mean, we, we were told, we, we, I remember us talking about it. It's just that, you know, the Astros had this guy that they drafted out of college, and, you know, he was going to be, like, this this masher that was going to take the Astros to the next level, and he didn't turn into anything. Like, <laughs> he was, like, a top 10 guy. And there's a ton of other examples of guys who just, it just didn't happen. And again, it just goes down to this, how hard baseball is to play and how big the gap is, especially now with all the data and, you know, the game plan that goes on. The gap between AAA and Major League Baseball has never been bigger. It just never has been. And, you know, guys have to either figure it out or they're not. And they have to, you know, they have to execute and, you know, some guys can figure it out, some guys can't. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And it kind of stinks when we, we you see guys that you wish they they should have they were a high draft pick or they you know they were highly touted they don't work out and it sucks when it happens but at the end of the day it's just kind of the name of the game. Uh, before we get to the last set of questions uh, and when we let you guys go we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Garrett. We're in the home stretch here. I can't believe this has already been forty minutes. Um, so, uh, so, for, so for the next question here uh, is um, with the, with the hundred and play, hundred eighty player uh, roster limit in the minor leagues, will there be a second FCL Braves team to accommodate the recent draftees, or those who just signed who aren't assigned to just one of the teams simply go through some sort of developmental squad or instructs or something of that kind? This is pretty straightforward. Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be. I mean. I think they would already have to have a second team. I don't think there's going to be a second team. Yep. I think that a there's enough guys. They're not they've between having a five round draft and not having international signings. They're so thin at the lower levels that if they need space, they'll just cut guys. There's so many guys down there that are disposable, and they're gonna want to rotate guys off the roster, give them, let them rest for a week or so. So I don't think that we're gonna see uh, um. Another team, we're just going to see them. If they want to rest a guy, they'll pull them off the roster. And if they need space, they'll just cut a guy that's not very good. Yeah, I think there's basically no chance there's going to be a second FCL team or anything like that. I think that the, it's far more likely that we're going to see cuts. Uh, and we're also going to see, like, I, I am, I wouldn't say I'm certain, but I've heard from enough people that a lot of these college guys 
in particular, they're just going to just let them have the rest of the season off. They're going to go straight to instructs. And I say like the top guy, like I'm talking about like Schwellenbach, Kusick, Dodd. Those guys have already thrown a lot of innings. They're just going to give them some rest, let them get healed up, and then work on them and work with them in instructs and then kind of go from there. Uh, been kind of a weird, you know, couple of seasons for a lot of these guys. So I think that there's not going to be a, uh, there's not going to be a lack of roster spots. And again, all you need to do is look at the Green Jackets roster and look at the FCL roster. You are not going to struggle at all to find spots, uh, for, for these drafts. It was only a 20 round draft. I think it's an important note too. There's only, so there's 19 guys. I think a good chunk of them just aren't going to play this year. And all the ones that are going to play, I don't think that the, that they might want to play. They're going to be replacing guys who frankly probably just need to be replaced anyway. It's a short version of the story. Uh, so next question is, uh, what are our thoughts on Vaughn Grissom's season and his potential? What do you think of Vaughn, Garrett? Uh, you're talking to the high guy of the group on Vaughn. Yep. Uh, yep. I love him. Yep. I have always, I've loved Vaughn from the beginning and he, he's been, his hit tool has been way better than I thought. His power has not been as good as I thought. He's hit a lot of ground balls this year. I do think that he needs to make some tweaks in his approach. Uh, and in his, and some small tweaks in his swing in terms of getting on, and to get under balls more. He hits a lot of line drives. That's good. He doesn't strike out a ton. He draws a fair bit of walks. Some of that drawing walks is because the league is not very good. Some of it is because he is fairly patient. Overall, he's been very good hitting wise. I don't think that his defense, I don't think he's going to stick a shortstop. Unfortunately, that is what it is, but I do think that he has enough bat at, to hit and stay as a third baseman assuming that he can start to hit more fly balls and hit more home runs. The Braves have had a lot of young guys that have come through the system that have needed to do that. Acuna had to do that. Um, Ozzy had to do that. We, uh, Austin Riley had to do that. Pache and Water still have to do that. It's a fairly common thing. We'll see if he can do it or not and see if he can start to hit more fly balls and tap into that power more. I think that that's the big next step for him is seeing him hit for more power. Michael Harris is another that hits too many ground balls right now. Yeah, and you can tell from the background that Garrett's dog is a big fan of uh, Vaughn Grissom as well. I just want to echo that. Uh, I love the hit tool. Uh, I, I do tend to agree that I don't think he's into this at short. Uh, I could see him as a second baseman where the, the profile might make a little bit more sense. Uh, and that's I just don't I don't think he has the range for short. It's kind of my biggest issue. I don't think it's an arm problem. Uh, I think he could play third base fine, but then it puts a lot of pressure on the bat, and I'd need to see some more. Um, I'd need to see some more power out of him in game situations. I mean, I've seen him in BP, and he, you know, he has plenty of power in his bat. But I think that just kind of the bat path currently isn't in the the you know what he ends up doing in games is a lot more line drives and ground balls. So that's going to require some tweaks, maybe putting on a little bit more strength too. But I do like the hit to it quite a bit. So we like Vaughn. Uh, is a short version of the story. Garrett's the the high guy on Vaughn, uh, but you'll you'll definitely see him featured on our top thirty list. But you know he's still a ways away, and there's, he has plenty of time considering where they got him and what you the expectations were. I think from a lot of circles, he's really put on a good show. I think that he hasn't looked overmatched at all. I like that the Braves have been kind of taking their time with him. You know, not rushing him up to, to Rome. Let him get used to kind of facing pro pitching and kind of figuring out what he can do and keep making those adjustments. And once he starts impacting the ball more, I think he could end up being like, you know, a, a real true major league, you know, contender in a couple of years or so. Um, so, uh, next question is what pitchers have shown upside as starters that you didn't think they had before the season and, and vice versa for guys who look more like bullpen arms that didn't before the season? What do you think, Garrett? Three quick names come to mind. The obvious is Kyle Muller. Um, even as recently as a couple of months ago, I was like, this guy is terrible the second time to do the order. His command isn't there. This guy's a reliever. 
And then, you know, his work with Moroth, his command took a step forward. He's starting to locate his breaking stuff more often and be able to pitch a couple times to the order. And right now, based on what he's done this year, he's going to start for at least a couple years, and I don't see any reason why he can't be a starter long-term. You know, he does still need to improve the command some, but, I mean, I think that I think that his two breaking balls and his fastball are enough for him to be an MLB starter if he has even below average command with as good as his stuff is. Um, another one that I was really on the reliever train for was Freddie Tarnock, and he yep. has come back this yep. year, and he's added a changeup that looks good. You know, there are times it's not very good, but for the most part, the changeups looked a ton improved. The curveball looks really good. The fastball has always been a strength for him. You know, his command is still a work in progress. We always knew it was going to be, but if you're t- pure talent, he's near the top of the system in that. All three of his pitches have looked good this year. He has really taken a huge step forward this season. And you can see that he put in a lot of work during the break, and he's been he's probably the most improved player out of any player in the system right now. I mean, he has really turned it around. Um, and the guy in the other direction we talked about him early is Josiel Veracruz. Coming into the season, I was high on him. I thought he could start long term, and I, I just don't see it. He can't get through an order more than once. He really his command has taken a step back. He's got less efficient with his pitches. It's just there's no way a guy like that can pitch. You know, maybe he's an opener and can go two or three innings, but beyond that, I really just, I don't think he doesn't have a, cha- the changeup isn't there. It's nothing but fastball slider and the command isn't there. It's just, it's just not going to happen, I don't think, for him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to echo your thoughts on Tarnock. I really thought that he was going to be kind of a reliever guy. He's been stuck in the same level for a while, starts off the season having the rehab. I just wasn't, you know, just, I hadn't seen the, the rawness kind of getting out of his game at all, and then he, Gets activated, goes to Rome, pitches really well. Now he's at, he was at Double A. Um, he was kind of the big promotion news of the last week or so. He makes his debut, strikes out nine guys. Just really kind of ter- a great turnaround for him. Uh, another guy that I was on the reliever train was Spencer Strider, and I think that was just simply because we hadn't really seen much of him. You know, everything about the profile made us think that he was going to end up being a reliever. You know, kind of that fourth round pick in a weird draft, but you know he. I have no reason to think that he can't pitch his way into being a starter right now. He's healthily in my top, top 10 right now of the Braves' overall prospects. So he's a kind of another guy that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I do have some concerns about Victor Vodnik simply because of the injury stuff. He was already a small-bodied guy, and I, we hadn't seen his the ability for him to last the season as a starter. I was very heartened by the fact that they started him there. But I I need to see his ability to actually hold up over the course of a season uh, as a starter before I really kind of get on that train a good bit. And then the name that was the easiest one. Is Justiel De La Cruz. Uh, he, I simply don't see him as a starter. A couple guys I'm a little bit worried about right now too. Jared Johnson. These are kind of like back end top thirty guys, but Tyler Owens and uh, Jared Johnson. I, I just don't know if I see them as starters. There, maybe their stuff plays up more in shorter stints and things like that. But those are two guys who have not impressed me very much this year, and I could end up seeing as a reliever to be sure. Uh, so next question is Travis Demerit. Uh, is he a, a, is a triple A MVP right now? Uh, is he just Mike Hessman, who, who's like a quad A player, or do you think he could end up in hitting major league pitching? I just want to say that Mike Hess, Hessman like did what he did for like 15 years. So I don't, I don't know if I go quite that far. Cause I mean, like Mike Hessman, like is kind of in his own like category of like, you know, like minor league king in a lot of ways. But they, they, I understand what you're trying to say is just like a guy who's like really good at triple A, but is never good enough to get to the, get, get to the big leagues and produce. Um, I, I have some thoughts here, but 
What What do you think, Garrett? I would not bet on him to hit major league pitching. I do think that it's possible. He definitely has the power to do it. He's athletic. He's learned to play the outfield a ton better than the last time I saw him. But at the same time, I mean, he's still striking out a ton. And I don't think that that's ever going to change for him. He has enough power and enough patience at the plate to overcome that, but he can't strike out. He can't go up to the major leagues and strike out 40% of the time and survive. It's just not going to happen. And so far, that's kind of what he's done in his career. Uh, if he can limit the strikeout somewhat, I could see him doing it, but he doesn't, he's not really a premium defender and he's not hitting enough to really say that, yeah, he's going to go up to the major leagues and hit. I just don't, I don't see him as a major league hitter, but I do see him as like, maybe, I mean, there's a chance he's 26. There's no reason not to give him, you know, like sit him down in AAA, see what happens. If he improves, you give him a shot. Your current starting outfield has Abraham Almonte in it. So if he starts hitting well for the rest of the season, there's really no shame in giving him a shot, I think. I, I just see him as a fourth outfielder. That's just kind of where I see him as a guy who can, like, come in, give you some starts in the outfield, occasionally good things happen at the plate, uh, come on, a, bat, a, bent, a bench bat of his caliber I think would be good. I just don't know if he – it takes a very specific mentality I mean, there's the utility guys who like get a bunch of at bats off the bat, off the bench, giving different guys days off playing all over the field. I wish that he would have that, like have that ability to, you know, like play third, play second, play in the all the outfield. Do you have that? Maybe there's something there. Uh, and the power is there. It's just the hit tool is like a really, really big question for me. And I could see him again being a bench bat where like, you know, if you bring him in a game and you need a big hit, uh, and you need like a homer to kind of get you back into a game. You can do a lot worse than Travis Demerit, but uh, overall, I mean, again, that's just I kind of see him as like a fourth outfielder type uh, at best at this point. It's just the hit tool is just a again, it's just something that I'm a little bit too concerned about. Um, so, who are guys that used to be major prospects in the system that are officially or or almost officially at the end of their road? Who are you guys, Garrett? There's only one name that comes to mind, and you're going to know the name, and it's Kyle Wright. I don't think that any of us see him as a major league player right now. I, I think it's very obvious why none of us see him as a major league player right now. He's just not. Um, there's really no one else in the system. The two guys that I would have definitely written off would have been Lugbauer and Janista, and they've both done fairly well at AA. I mean, I don't consider either of them you know, major prospects, but I do look at them as guys that, like, there is a world where it works out for them. And so I don't think that they're at the, like, it's time to release them and move on. The other guy that I maybe could see kind of reaching the end of his rope, and even then I don't see it, would be Dysbell Hernandez because he's been pretty bad this year. But he's also still fairly young. The stuff is real, so I don't think that they're going to give up on him. But I, I'm getting to the point to where I am going to give up on him. Thomas Burroughs is another where I am getting to the point to where I give up on him, but I don't think that the – team as a whole that's going to give up on him yeah with the reliever types they, they always tend to kind of hang around right so like i'm not like again i don't think dave has been very good i don't think that um burroughs has been good i haven't thought much of burroughs for a long time so like it's not like a, a name that's like super surprising to me um but overall i i think you kind of hit on the right names i i am i i am firmly of the belief that cj alexander is not going to be a prospect uh i don't have him ranked i don't have J, uh great Santanista ranked either i think that there's the hit tools is too much of an op- too much of a question for him uh overall i mean kyle i mean kyle wright's kind of an easy answer it's not really a guy who's like going to be on our list obviously because he had already exhausted eligibility but those are there's some definite real concerns with kind of what he could be period 
Um, and, uh, it's a shame because, you know, you spend a big pick on a guy like that, but it's just, there's, so, he has a lot of issues just that, and again, I've been, this has been something I've been saying for years. It's like, I've never really liked what he's done the second time through the order, uh, even when it's worked out for him at times. So, um, uh, another guy that like maybe I'm I'm pretty low on. I just don't think that I like to look the way that Ricky Devito's looked this year. But he wasn't like a crazy high ranked guy or anything like that. But I just don't see a major league player there. Um, and that's again that's kind of one my personal preference. Beyond that, I mean, there's not been some other and crazy drop offs beyond that. I mean, if Jaciel De La Cruz keeps trending the way he's trending, then that could be problematic. But overall, there's no one that's like you know really sticks out in terms of. Wow, they're not really players anymore, if that makes any sense. Um, um, this next question is actually a pretty straightforward one. Um, Garrett, Joey Estes, give us, talk, talk to us a little briefly about what kind of stuff he throws and kind of where you have him kind of ranked going forward. Fastball, slider, changeup. The fastball is, you know, mid-90s. Tons of spin on it. It's a really hard pitch to hit. He's done really well with it at low A. The slider is inconsistent. He has shown an above average slider at times. He has shown a pretty bad slider at times. For the most part, it's a good pitch. It's a very good low A pitch for sure. And it's a pitch that he's developing. His command has been way, way, way better than I thought it was going to be at this stage. And his changeup has definitely been an improved pitch. And he definitely, he's a guy, he has three pitches that I think can play at the major league level. He can command the ball. I mean, we have to see it more consistently, but, and we have to see it against competition that isn't what low A has been this year. But for the most part, I think that we've seen a guy that has firmly put himself very high on our prospect list. And he's going to be the one that going into next year, he's going to be the one at the lower levels that we look at as this could be the future top pitcher in the system just based on what he can do. Yeah, uh just tend to agree with that. Uh, he will be uh, obviously hopefully in our top 30 this year. Uh, really like the stuff what he's done. He's still a teenager, though. So, <laughs> like, I, I'm fine with them kind of taking their time with him. Uh, in terms of, like, what he needs to show in Augusta to get bumped up to Rome, I think that once the the draft class gets put in there and I think that there's going to be some pitchers that could feasibly get put straight into Augusta. I can see that happening. Uh, I, I would be a bit surprised that in the next month we don't see Joey Estes uh, bumped up to Rome. I mean, there's some roster considerations that they're kind of thinking too ahead of him in terms of like bringing up a guy. You have to make sure there's a spot for him and all that. I don't think it'll be the end of the world if he ends the season with Augusta because it, I don't think it changes his trajectory or his outcomes at all. But, you know, I think that I would not, I would be a bit surprised that, that by the end of August that he's not in Rome. This is the short version of the story. Um, so the next question is, if Harris and Langlers are the Braves' two most untouchable prospects, who is the third? I'm not sure if I understand or even agree with the premise of this question, but uh, who, who's kind of a guy that you think is untouchable, if, if anybody? Yeah, they're definitely not the most untouchable. I, I There's not a single player in the system that's even remotely untouchable. I don't think – the system does not have a guy like Acuna right now that you just cannot trade – you know, I guess if I had to say a player that, like, you look at Pache, there's a ton of talent there. He's probably at a point right now where his value is fairly low based on how he's looked, so that might not be the best idea to t to trade him. I wouldn't love trading Spencer Strider right now, but if the price is right, there's not a single guy in the system right now that I would – lose sleep if they got traded i just don't see a single player that's at that level right now for me 
Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I don't think Harris is untouchable. I don't think Langlers is untouchable. Uh, in terms of like a third guy that like wouldn't make much sense to trade right now at all, it'd be Kyle Muller because they need him in that rotation right now, right? Like in terms of like guys that like have a very specific role in the Braves future and they will be needed going forward. Like that's the guy, right? Like, you know, you can talk about Tucker and you can talk about Enoa, but those are guys who both hurt. You don't really know what you're going to get from them when they come back. But right now Muller is shoving and you need him in your rotation. So like in terms of like untouchability in terms, like it would be bizarre to trade Kyle Muller right now for any sort of asset simply because he is a, a important member of your rotation at this moment in time. But the short answer to your question is there's no, there's no untouchable prospects in the system. And I, I am not sure if like, again, like guys like Drew Waters, Christian Pache, um, William Contreras is another kind of, if we talk about actual guys who like maybe aren't technically prospects, but are currently playing in the minor leagues. Like those are all guys who like have a lot of value. Um, they would be in that same conversation, but Overall, I just don't see a guy anyone's untouchable. There's not a guy who's like a top five prospect in all of baseball right now, and he's like a part of your future. And you're going to build your lineup around or you build your rotation around for many, many years to come. There's not a guy like that. There just isn't. Um, two more questions, then we'll let everyone go. Uh, as a huge Georgia Tech fan, I got the chance to watch Malloy play many times, and it's been pretty obvious how raw he truly is. But the tools are real. Whether he can put hit in pro ball remains to be seen, of course. But what kind of ceiling would you put on him? What do you think of What do you think of old JHM? I have a tough time putting a ceiling on, I mean, any player, really. But, you know, with Malloy, I think, you know, he's limited because he can, he's not going to play middle, he's not going to play, he's not going to be an up-the-middle player. So that limits him. He is athletic. He hits for a lot of power. I mean, if he figures out how to hit, he's an MLB caliber third baseman, no doubt. But I don't think that, I don't see, like, a world where he's, like, a superstar. I, I do think that, the potential is there for him to be an above-average MLB third baseman for sure. I don't think it's very likely, but it's definitely worth the effort to try with his athleticism and with his potential. Uh, but I don't think that his ceiling – his ceiling isn't going to compare to a guy who can play center field or play shortstop just because of the defensive limitations of not being able to play those positions. You lose value in that way. Yeah, I don't see anything in his hitting profile that makes me think that he has some like crazy like all star ceiling or anything like that. I think I think that what you hit was the nail on the head. I think he could be an above average regular. I think he could end up hitting pretty well, hitting for some power, play third base reasonably well, with a decent approach at the plate, and that has a lot of value when you draft a guy on day two like that out of North Tech, right? So I, I again, I'm 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 tend to be with you. It's like you know, I think he I think he's going to have moments in the minor leagues where you're like maybe they have something, but overall, I think his like his ceiling is just kind of again an above average regular, which is not a bad outcome. And I, I'm not so certain I'd have to see him more play in terms of how much I see how likely it's going to be, especially kind of coming out of this year. Once he gets an instructs and he's up against pro pitching, I'll have a better feel for that. But like right now, the ceiling is an above average above average regular. But again, that's the ceiling. That's not what I would consider to be the most probable outcome right now with him. Um, so uh, what pitcher? This is the last question before we let folks go. Has the best pit plus pitch in the system? This is a tough one. So there's a, there's there's some uh there's some really good pitches in the system to be sure. Uh, I have a couple thoughts, but I'll let you go ahead and go up first. I love a changeup, but if I could teach, if I could give every single pitcher in the system one pitch, I would give them a hundred mile per hour fastball with ridiculous spin, and 
that's what Cusick and Strider have. Vodnik has that to an extent. Uh, Indigo Diaz has a high 90s fastball. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty easily like, if you had to give a pitcher a pitch, it would be a uh, triple digit fastball with a high spin rate. That's pretty easy. Uh, breaking balls, uh, Jose De La Cruz and Muller have great sliders. Uh, Strider, Darius Vines, Freddie Tarnock have really good curveballs. Schuster, Dodd have great changeups. We see that sometimes from Estes. Um, you know, you mentioned DeVito earlier. He has a good splitter. He just doesn't have anything else. Uh, those and are kind of, and he, can't, and, he, and he can't, and he can't throw that for strikes to save his life. Yeah. Well, De La Cruz can't throw the slider just for strikes. Like that, also fair. true. Also true. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, I mean, if you had to pitch, if you had to build an arsenal for a guy, you'd start with the triple digit fastball. So that's the pretty obvious selection for me. Yeah, uh, I, I would I would throw uh, Bryce Elder's slider kind of in that conversation too in terms of sliders and stuff like that. But uh, I tend to agree. I think that Strider. I, I would say Strider's. I mean, just because I think that Strider has is more command of what his fastball is versus what I think currently Kusick's is. I would say that Strider's fastball is the best pitch in the system, like kind of overall. But I mean, Jared Schuster's changeup is really good. Uh, I want to see Dodd. I, I don't want to like put him in that group yet. I've heard a lot of good things. Don't get me wrong. I think that the, I think that that changeup could be really good as well. But if I'm like picking, I'm probably picking picking between Strider, uh, Strider's fastball, Kusick's fastball, and Schuster's changeup. And I think I probably settle on for the moment anyway. Best pitch in the system. Strider's fastball. Uh, and you know, if Rodery Munoz figures out how to like recapture the magic from that first start to the end of the season, uh, which we got us all excited, you know, maybe we kind of play him in that conversation too, as you know, his fastball being one of the better pitches in the system, but he's come down to earth quite a bit and that's going to happen. Breaks our hearts a little bit, but he's really young, has plenty of time. So, uh, but those are kind of where I'm at in terms of the best pitches in the system. Yeah. I'll tell you, we have it directly from Makai Backstrom that he said that Joey Estes has the hardest fastball to hit that he's seen. So I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm not the one that has I, to hit. I think, I, so. I think Makai, I think Makai has to try to hit a Spencer Strider fastball for <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's I'm going to, I'll call Makai up after he has to go against Kusick in, in instructs. I'll be like, yeah. so good luck. How'd it go? You know, like, uh, but yeah. I, I mean, and again, but I mean, Essie's has been great. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just, yeah. and I, 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 and he, and he's, and he's deceptive too. And, you know, and he has, there's probably some more in the tank for him. So oh, like, we'll see, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, overall, I would say this is probably Strider's, Strider's fastball, but like Schuster's changeups right there. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys with really good pitches in the system to be sure. Yep. Just they have to be able to command them. Uh, I think that's pretty much all we got here. Is there anything else you want to share with folks before we let them go? I have, I'm done. I have talked a lot today. <laughs> As you can tell, Garrett's pretty is, tired from being sick. And uh, let's see what what's what, a lot the, of stuff. I mean, it's a lot of info here. Yeah, yeah, and we actually had planned for this being a relatively short podcast, and predictably, we're at a hundred, an hour and five minutes, uh, which is pretty much par for the course whenever Garrett and I start talking baseball. Uh, so we want to thank you all for listening. Uh, I do have uh, some, a fairly bit of interesting news for you. Might want to keep an eye out on the site because I am going to be interviewing one Spencer Schwellenbach tomorrow and I'm going to be talking a good bit about his development as a pitcher uh, and as a player at Nebraska and his journey to the pros and kind of what we could see from him going forward so keep an eye out for that I will I'm certainly going to be interviewing him tomorrow we'll see how long it takes for me to actually get it all transcribed and get it posted on the site but I imagine that'll be sometime later this week uh, 
So that's pretty much all I've got. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode, all you have to do is subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast feed. And all you need to do there is just go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast purveyor may be. Go to that go go to that podcast platform, search Talking Chop. Not only will you get this podcast, which is about the minor leagues, but you get the Talking Chop flagship pro- program hosted by the great Brad Roland, uh, occasionally co-hosted by yours truly as well as Scott Coleman, and also a new program we've been rolling out lately, which has been the Daily Hammer, uh, hosted by Sean, who's going who's been going through and kind of doing little quick preview shows during the week, give you guys an idea what's going on in the game that day, uh, this come, and kind of rounding things out in our weekly coverage. Really happy with all the support for that show as we've kind of been rolling that out over the last week or so. It's been a lot of fun to kind of change and bolster our podcast pre- pre- presence out there on the interwebs. Make sure you Kind of make sure that even if you're not listening to any specific episodes, whether you're not really huge into the minor leagues or you don't need daily updates or you don't want to listen to Brad talk about Michigan sports or basketball intermittently while also talking about baseball, uh, just it helps us out a ton if you just download. You don't have to listen. We would love to have you guys listen. We want you guys to be listening to everything that we put out there. But if you want to just help us out but maybe not listen to everything, downloading to help. Tell your friends. Leave five-star reviews. All that stuff is great, uh, a, a big help for us. Thank you all so much for all the support over the last few weeks. We've been very busy, uh, to be sure, with all the content that's been coming out on the site. That's going to continue as we kind of get into the last couple months of the minor league season, which I uh, kind of made myself sad even talking about just now. So um, we want to thank you guys all so much for all the support. And until next time, we'll see you on the road.